it's been over a year now, but I can still remember very well as though it was yesterday, the day last May when I was sitting in the auditorium at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in Mequon, and I heard the president of our synod, President Mark Schrader, read the words, Paul Krieger, Cross of Life, Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And I can remember looking at my dad, who was sitting right next to me, and we both said the exact same thing. We both said, Canada. (laughs) But then I remember a little bit after that service, as I was going through the package of information that you guys had sent to me to get me ready for my year here, and those thoughts of Canada quickly changed to thoughts of, oh, the soccer camp church. Because you see, I had, I had already heard about you guys. I had already heard about the awesome ministry that you guys have going on here through that soccer camp. And I'm no soccer star myself, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited. Because I thought it was pretty cool to be going to a church that had such a huge, important, big ministry item that, that I had even heard of it well before I knew I was going to be coming here. Then when I got here in August, about a month and a half after your last soccer camp, there was still that, that excitement, that buzz in the air. And people were talking about thinking back to, to that soccer camp, swapping stories about things that had happened. As time went on, that, that buzz slowly started to die down. And then we switched our focus to the programs we had coming up afterwards, things like Christmas and then March break camp and Easter. But now, ever since Easter, I've kind of noticed that buzz starting to build again. Until now, it's almost a bit of a frenzy, even. We're two weeks away today now from the biggest, the single most grand ministry event that our church does every year. There's this sense of urgency going around. Families are preparing their homes for guests. And organization is coming to a head. Plans are are all being finalized so that we can be ready. At our last staff meeting, our staff meeting on Tuesday, we spent pretty much the whole time just trying to hunt down all the loose ends, think of all the things that still need to be done before July 7th rolls around so that we can be ready for this soccer camp. And it's pretty clear that as a church, as a congregation, we're going to need to be on our toes here these next couple of weeks so that we get everything done that we need to do before that camp arrives. In 1 Peter this morning, we're reminded of another deadline that's coming up. Chapter 4, verse 7, Peter tells us, The end of all things is near. So maybe you get the idea that this is perhaps a little bit more of an imposing deadline than getting all the the meals ready for soccer camp or getting all the cones counted. Uh, This is a little bit of a bigger deal. We're talking about the end of the world here. We're talking about God coming to earth. And there's two things that we can do in the meantime. We can live our lives in, in one of two ways. That's what that parable was talking about this morning in our gospel message. Jesus was telling the disciples a story about a master 
and his servant. He said the master was going away for some time and, and he left his servant with something. He left him with some work to be done. Now a faithful servant, Jesus tells us, would get right at that work. He'd start on it immediately so that by the time his master came back, he would find that here his servant had been faithful. He'd been doing the work that, that he had been tasked with. A wicked servant, on the other hand, would put that work off. He'd live, live life for himself, do the things that he wanted to do under the assumption that if my master is gone for a while here, I can just wait until right before he gets back and then start doing the things he wants me to do so I look good when he shows up. Well, I think it's pretty obvious to us what Jesus is talking about in this parable. The master, of course, is Jesus himself. And he's gone to heaven for a time now and, and left us, his servants, tasked with carrying out his work while he's gone. So we can go about that one of two ways. We can put it off and we can say, look, he's gone Now's the time to party, and then right when we think he's coming back, then maybe right towards the end of my life, I can start doing Christian things. It's okay for me to do whatever I want right now as long as I say I'm sorry later, and then I'll get God's forgiveness, and then, then I'm okay. How many times haven't we thought thoughts just like that? But I think we want to be more like that faithful servant. We want to get to work. We want to start doing the, the stuff that God has given us to do, and we want to do it right now. So what is that work? We read that, that parable in, in Matthew, and Jesus doesn't exactly give us all the exact details of what it is he wants us to do. And I'll bet those disciples, Peter included, were wondering the same things that, that day as Jesus told them that. Well, what is this, this work? What's he talking about? All this end-of-the-world stuff. I don't really get it. But by the time Peter wrote this letter to the church, he's had some opportunity to think about it. He has a little bit more added perspective now since we're after the, the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and after the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And so now as he's led by the Holy Spirit, Peter has this wonderful opportunity here in this letter to teach Christians, to teach us, exactly what it means to be living for God in the last days. Exactly what it is that that work which we are supposed to be carrying out is. So, so what is it? How do we do what God has called us to do? He tells us that with four simple things. First, he says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Clear-minded and self-controlled is a very nice, politically correct way to translate the words be sane and sober. Yes, the end of the world is coming, Peter says. Great. Now don't start running around like chickens with your heads cut off. We need to focus on what we have to do. We need to stay on our toes. I can remember when I was six years old playing a game of t-ball, getting yelled at by my coach for picking dandelions, in the outfield. Apparently, he didn't think it was time for me to be getting in touch with nature. He wanted me to be sitting there with my head up, my hands out, and, and up on the balls of my feet, hopefully without a, a flowing gown on, so that I could go in, in whatever direction I needed to 
at a moment's notice. That's the mindset that God wants us as Christians to have as we live our lives for him. He wants us to be always ready, always on the lookout. Basically, when you get right down to it, what Peter is telling us here is is just exactly the same as he heard Jesus tell to him on, on numerous occasions during Jesus' ministry. He's saying, watch and pray. Because as we watch, as we're in that ready position in our lives, and we, we're looking at all of the things that are going on around us, and we're doing that with a, a clear mind and, and with self-control, we're going to realize we're in a little over our heads here. And that sane and sober mind is going to take us back to God in prayer. That prayer of a Christian is not just simply going to be, Dear Lord, please get me out of this mess. It's going to be, Lord, help me to assess things according to to your perception, according to the perception you give me in your word, and then help me to act in a way that pleases you according to your will. God is going to answer those prayers through his word. And so as we're living for God, we need to make sure that our relationship with God remains living and active as well, both as we allow him to come to us through his word and as we go to him in prayer. And that relationship with God isn't the only one that needs to stay healthy, though. The second instruction that Peter gives us today is that above all, we should love each other deeply. Because, he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. This is another lesson that Peter heard from Jesus on on more than one occasion. For Christians, loving one another, loving each other, is not just a, a cherry on top. It isn't just an added extra. For Christians, loving one another is, is a central part of our faith. Peter stresses that with those words, above all. This is a priority, he's saying. This is, after your relationship with God, this is number one for you. Above everything else, love each other deeply. Because, don't forget, because, he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. We don't have time to waste with petty arguments and disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to love on a a level that is so deep, so earnest, that we're able to overlook, to forgive the sins that, that we as fellow Christians can and will commit against each other. That's not always going to be easy. And so once again, you have to keep that clear mind and you have to go to God in prayer and ask Him for help. If you've allowed some sin or or something even less maybe to come in between you and, and a brother or sister in Christ, then you need to go to God in prayer. You need to ask Him for the strength to, to mend that rift between you so that we can get back to serving God and doing His work as efficiently and effectively as possible. Because it's only when we're all working together in love that we're able to to work to the best of our abilities. Another important aspect of love for those first century Christian churches was that of showing love to traveling Christians. And I think that's true for churches today, especially 
mission churches like our own. So the third direction that Peter gives us today is offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Jesus' command for us right before he ascended into heaven was to go into all the world and preach the good news to every nation. That means that Christianity, as much as we might like it to be sometimes, is not going to be a a sit-at-home desk job. Christianity means that Christians, with the limited time that they have, are going to be moving around. From time to time, they're going to have to leave their homes and travel somewhere else in order to do God's work. I think we get that here at Cross of Life better than, better than some places do. In fact, we get it so well, I think, that we're inviting people on a fairly regular basis to travel out here and do ministry work with us, whether it's soccer camp coaches, March break camp leaders, TCW teams, daylight teams, or or a bus full of high school choir members. We have a lot of people coming here to do ministry with us. Open your homes up to those people, God says. Shower them with welcome and with blessing, and I will do the exact same thing to you. That's God's promise to you. Just a little after the parable that that we heard this morning in in Matthew, Jesus is still talking to his disciples later that day, still talking to them about the end of the world. And he tells them this. He says, On that day, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. Then he says those righteous people will look up at him and say, Lord, when did we ever do any of those things? And then that king, Jesus, will say to them, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done for me. So as important as hospitality is for a church that's always on its feet going about doing the Lord's work, even in view of what Jesus tells us that anything we do for his brothers and sisters, we're doing for him. The fact remains that being hospitable, being generous like that, is going to cost you. That's why Peter attaches that little phrase right at the end of that verse. He says, be hospitable and do it without grumbling. You can bet back then, when Peter is writing this letter, there were people in those churches in, in Cappadocia, in Galatia, and they were, they were grumbling a little bit. Mom, Dad, look, Apostle Paul has been staying in my room for the last four weeks. How long do you think he's going to be here this time? Or, honey, why do you think it is that all of the travelers always come through our town. What, what do you think about that family over there? How come we're the ones that always seem to wind up with the strangers coming in and staying at our house? I can't even remember the last time they opened their doors to let somebody else in. There may have been grumbling like that back in, in first century 
Asia Minor. I know for a fact, though, that there's grumbling like that here in, in Mississauga in, in 2014. We think those same kind of thoughts, but here Peter is urging us to a love that goes beyond those kinds of thoughts, that goes beyond those feelings of negativity. He's, he's urging us to a level of love that is on a par with the love of our Savior Jesus. Our Savior who was so generous that he offered us not just a couple of meals or a few nights stay, he offered us his very life. Our Savior who is so hospitable that he is at this moment up in heaven preparing a permanent room for us in his heavenly mansion. As we keep our heads clear, focused on God and focused on the work that he has given us to do, we pray to him that he would give us the power and the strength to show that kind of love in our lives. Finally, the the fourth instruction Peter gives us today is that each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Being loving, being hospitable, being generous, those are things that God expects from each and every one of us. But he's also given each one of us our own unique set of gifts, our own varied ways in which we can help to serve the greater good of the church. God wants us each to to recognize those gifts, to find them and, and use them to, to our best ability. We don't have a whole lot of power, a whole lot of say in which gifts God has decided to give us. In his infinite wisdom, though, we trust that he's given us the, be- the best gifts for us to use. What we do have some say in, though, is like Pastor was saying with that, with that faucet, we have some say over whether those gifts are going to be used or not. We have the power to turn it off or the power to to open it up and and turn it on and let those gifts flow through us. I'd like to read the second half of that last verse, verse 10 again. Peter tells us, as Christians, we should be faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That idea of God's varied grace is at the same time both a pretty awesome concept and and then, uh, on the other hand, a very incredible responsibility for us. Because God's grace, His gift of love to people, is the same for everyone. He sent His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world. The way that grace is administered, though, can, can vary very greatly. And so, each of us has to, has to look to His own gifts and see how it is that God has, has chosen that we should administer His grace. One of us might be able to administer that love through speaking to others, as Paul gets at now in, in the next verse, through preaching, through teaching, through Bible instruction. But for others, it might be entirely different. It might be serving, administering God's grace through, through song, through singing here in church, through praying for others. Maybe visiting a a Christian who can't get out on their own anymore. Or mowing someone's lawn for them. 
doing other handiwork around their house, providing a, a meal for a family who's in a, in a tight spot, or hosting a, a team of soccer camp coaches. There, there are really thousands of ways that we can serve God through serving others. But none of us, not one of us here, is going to be able to do them all. That's why we need to work together as, as a body, as a family, as a team, so that we can, we can compile all of our gifts and get all the work done that we need to do. We each need to, to look to our own gifts and be faithful with what God has given us. Because the one gift that we all share is salvation. Salvation that we haven't earned, but that was given to us freely. Salvation that was given to us freely, not to keep to ourselves, but to share with everyone in the world. At any given point in time, there could be someone out there that needs to hear God's grace, that needs to hear the gospel about Jesus, and that is open to hearing it in a way that only you, out of all of us here, or out of all of the Christians in the world, are equipped to bring it to them. That's a pretty awesome responsibility. It can be pretty terrifying, too. Especially when you think that, who am I to be the one tasked with bringing them the message about Jesus? I'm just a guy or a gal who has failed at everything we've talked about here today. I haven't always shown that love. I haven't always been hospitable. So how do I know that I'm qualified then to take God's grace and administer it to his people? Well, our motivation for that, just as it is for everything else, is the living hope of Easter. Because Jesus lived and died and rose for you. Jesus loved everyone perfectly for all of the times that you failed to do that. Jesus never once missed an opportunity to serve his God. And Jesus always was perfectly hospitable to others for all of the times that you were not. Jesus lived his life perfectly for all of the times that we have failed. And then he gave that life to you on the cross. So that now when God looks at you, despite the fact that, that we've grumbled plenty, and that we've missed opportunities left and right to serve our God, to show love to one another, God doesn't see that. He sees the never grumbling, always hospitable, always loving attitude of Christ. And he sees that attitude in you. Because Jesus lived and died for you, God has forgiven all of your sins. And he has credited you with all the, all the full credit that is due for the love of Christ.
So now Peter tells us the end of all things is near. And God is coming. Coming not to punish you for your sins, but rather to throw his arms open and welcome. And to offer you the the love and hospitality of, of a God who cares for you deeply. He's coming to bring you the salvation that Jesus won for you. Yesterday was the summer solstice. The longest day of sunlight that we have in the entire year. So now as we go on from this point each day, there's going to be a little less sunshine, a little less time that we can get outside and and do work outside. Jesus once talked about that night and day. He said, night is coming when you won't be able to do any more work. So brothers and sisters, let us work while it is day. So that through all things that we do, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which is beyond our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord until life everlasting. Amen.